0: Welcome to the forecast roundtable podcast uh, today i'm your host dan darling senior international military markets analyst for forecast international and as we approach the end of the year we're going to do a quick podcast on the russian arms export market and its success and failures and everything in between and joining me today will be derek bassaccio who covers the russian market Derek, uh, let's talk about Russia. This is your area of expertise, and I know you wrote a blog post for us on our blog, Defense Security Monitor, back in June on the first half of Russia's um, arms export success or what they claimed their numbers were. How would you characterize their exports for the year and give us, like, what's their trajectory over the past five years?
1: okay so I believe um, with that report that you're mentioning that was that was about the halfway point for 2019 and yeah, it about sold June, some, yeah I think. somewhere around six billion or so uh, US dollars worth of, of arms equipment that had been delivered abroad those were for contracts that have already been inked uh, towards the end of the year they're looking Russia's looking like they're on track to have probably in the ballpark of about 15 billion dollars um, in export value that's according to their figures that that Russian officials give, uh, usually there's not a breakdown, so it's a little bit. It, it can be a little bit difficult so to verify no this. Breakdown yeah. by
0: sector or like submarines even, yeah, versus aircraft. Or? Yeah, even
1: yeah, e- all of it. Export uh, customer. Land systems, you'll everything. get you'll get yeah. the general picture. You'll know who who's buying right, who they're selling it to, and some of the general ideas of the systems that they're selling, but usually you don't have a detailed breakdown of here's how much... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But in any case, their figures are usually consistent with themselves year to year. Mm -hmm. There's some variance. If you look at, for example, what um, the U.S., the Congressional Research Service, what they give for figures, it's a lot lower. And I think uh, CIPRI CIPRI? also... Yeah, yeah, they also do it, and, and theirs is lower. So... With that, obviously, you you're you're picking picking and choosing which one you go by. But at least as far as the figures that the Russian officials are giving, they're, they're it's looking like it's generally in line with where it's where it's been for the past few years. So essentially, plateaued.
0: So where would they rank uh, among global suppliers? G- global you know, supply, China, number U.S. number two. number two so behind the United States. Yeah, I think where last I saw, France or Britain is like third, and there's. A good ways behind Russia, right. which is, if I am correct, about half of what the U.S. Oh, is. Yeah,
1: which is itself a ways behind, yeah, ways behind the United States. Yeah, so their position as number two is pretty secure, at least for the, at least for the short term.
0: Right, and as you mentioned, short term, we'll move on to Katsa and uh, right, which I is one been, of the
1: risks for the definitely the right. medium and the long. What is it? Term.
0: Countering America's advers- adversaries through. Sanctions, Through a sanctions act, act. yeah, you got it I, b- I believe it came in if it was passed and written and passed in 2017 and mm-hmm. so are we beginning to feel the effects of it because without getting <laughs> into turkey and the S-400, right right obviously which that seems to be the, the linchpin uh... of every geopolitical debate mm-hmm. uh, east versus west is so to on All a map or russia right versus there. the western powers it seems to be that seems to be the the axis right there right right so i mean you know, i cover asia here mm-hmm. so i know um some of the countries trade they diversify their supplies so what in what in your opinion and your analysis are you are we seeing any effects with katza or the threat of katza on Russian arms exports?
1: Yeah, so the first, so yeah, you're right. It was passed in 2017. I think it came into effect in early 2018. And essentially, the only sanction that I can think of that's actually gone through has been with, in regards to China, with the S 400 and the S 235. That one's an easy pick for the United States because the United States is not. You know, uh, grappling with say an alliance with Turkey through NATO, mm-hmm. and then Turkey's been an example of where the limitations of that uh, sanctions bill goes yeah. as far as as far as for the United States. the The general uh, perspective or the general goal for the United States is that they want to not only prevent countries from purchasing from Russia, but also to help them switch towards other systems. So it's not across the board killing all russian exports but the idea is that countries should be moving towards buying from the west mm-hmm. and not you know embarking on
0: yeah russian... and not
1: embarking on a new project with russian arms you know, i think the united right. states is going to you know be understanding for countries that are already operating systems yeah, that uh, they... you know that need to keep these things sustained right but in any case the so where the united states is already encountering holes is that countries are still going ahead and purchasing new stuff right and it's going to be so,
0: Sorry, I don't mean yeah, to cut no, you off, right but right I was yeah. about to say it's going to be interesting to see they can um, apply waivers. Right, so it's going to be right. real interesting to see, you know, the Turkeys, the, uh, the, Indias, turkey's the case. Indias, Indonesia, Malaysia, yep. where these get applied and to, you know, to what degree.
1: Yeah, and and so you talked about the the threat or the risk of, of sanctions. That's where uh, the United States State Department said... I believe it was in a briefing, just it might have been last year, so 2018. That and they didn't specify, but they said something about two to three billion dollars worth of deals had not gone through because of the threat of these sanctions. Again, they didn't offer any specifics, so mm-hmm. it you know it could have just been that they persuaded some country or to it drop could be, on a, uh, you know on a negotiation. But
0: yeah, it could be India's. Typical right. bureaucratic entanglement. Yeah, that, slows that the, the United States is too. just
1: is just taking the W 4 without yeah, yeah without right. actually need so but in any case, one interest or uh, one w- another good example of it is Egypt right now is negotiating for the purchase of the S U 35. Earlier this year, this got reported um, in Russian media. It was about the numbers weren't weren't hard, but it was about a two billion dollar deal for about two dozen jets. And the United States, through the State Department, has been pretty vocal about this, especially recently. And officials have pretty much explicitly said, like, e- Egypt is risking sanctions with this. Mm-hmm. Now, it's possible the U.S., as you said, could, could could issue a waiver. And I think realistically, the United States is finding that because this sanctions package is so broad in what it's supposed to be dealing with, that they're going to have to issue waivers. Either that or you're you know going to be cutting ties with a heck of a lot of countries that you don't want to do.
0: Right. Yeah, it's definitely it, it, it's a fine line, right? For Washington, as and well as for some of those countries themselves that, right? Also, don't want to be on the outs with Washington, right? So, so
1: I I think I think this is applying definitely
0: pressure to on
1: on the Russian side of it is definitely applying pressure to their export potential, a uh, number of their officials and. Uh, Rosa Barron Export and in RosTech just generally have have referred to this as, as basically an unfair competition tool. That's that's the way they see it. That the United States is doing this to remove Russian exports so that it, its own systems can be sold to. Right. Um, I mean, I've seen the comments and repeatedly. And the right. That's, that's shows definitely and all the arms shows. shows they've yeah. made a point when they when they give interviews. That's the perspective that they're taking on it, and that's what they're saying. And Russia has has ways around it in one of the in how they've negotiated with countries, especially of late, is that they said, "Okay, well, you know, if we can't finance this in dollars, well, we'll we'll do it in national currencies, preferably rubles.
0: Yeah. And I I know I've seen that uh, with India. Exactly. That's a big.
1: Yeah, that's a big that's a big example of it, that they've looked to a different financing mechanism. And then also limiting the transparency so it's not apparent, like if a bank loan is, is issued, it's not apparent necessarily which one's involved. Mm-hmm. And then that way that reduces the odds of institutions being sanctioned by the U.S. because a lot of the you know the banks that you would use in these cases might have exposure to the U.S. Right. And in that case, if the United States caught wind of it, that they were involved in financing a defense deal, it would cut off their access to, to Manhattan.
0: And that makes me rebound back to... Um Egypt, uh, mm-hmm. because obviously at two billion. There's a credit That's, extension, which yeah. is their favored method. I know Russia is long, <laughs> and the Soviet Union R- did this before the Russian Federation. Uh, you know, the Soviet Union might have donated, quote unquote. Right, more. they're
1: aware of the political, uh, the political implications of deals, besides just what you could make in you know whatever the you know the financial value of the contract is they also realize that sometimes it's more valuable to establish these ties with that country and right. and give them some generous loan terms and so the, yeah there's a strong yeah, it's a possibility geopolitical play with with Egypt there's a very strong possibility that this you know that this is being g- going to be financed by a loan and hmm. not definitely not going to be purchased
0: just outright do they ever get repaid on these loans or do they just get commodities back because in the <laughs> Soviet Union a lot of yeah. those loans I, defaulted
1: I, yeah I guess if you take a very broad view of what repaid yeah. uh, means you know the Assad if you, family yeah yeah, ex- exa- yeah exactly yeah like exactly 15 those, billion that's a of, lot of yeah. systems that you gave to Assad and what did you get out of it I mean you at this stage, they have an air base there, which is which is great yeah. and fulfills other needs. And but that's bases. not, yeah. yeah. But th- obviously, that's not money. That's right, a, d- a different thing of value. Right. right. But yeah, and so that's that's definitely some some of the ways that Russia's tried to work with this. And this kind of gets into some of the other pressure uh, that they that their exports have been facing is that a lot of their export markets have basically crumbled within in the mm-hmm. last. You know, let's let's just call it like a decade and a half. If you look at who some of their top customers are, um and Syria, was to, you, you mentioned Assad. So, right. so Syria, obviously they're not in a position to really be making multi billion dollar purchases. Right. There were right. a few deals that were that were out there that they were talking about, that they were considering. And then as the revolution got underway, those became a lot less feasible. And that and just from Assad's financial outlook. They're actually, you know, there's not an international arms embargo on Syria. So technically they can ink any of these deals. They just don't have the right. the finances yeah. to. And then you've got Venezuela, very very bad situation as well where Russia has extended a lot of systems, extended a lot of loans, and Venezuela is now, you know, in, in, in severe turmoil right. and not really able to ink any other any other contracts of so that, you know, I could I could go on with a few of these other No, because I
0: was systems. gonna move over to I mean you're hitting on some of the Countries within mm-hmm. larger core markets, and I was right. going to ask you. I, kn- I mean, we could probably say um, Russian core markets um, revolve around some Latin America, Africa, Near East, Central yeah. and South Asia, and then Eastern Europe. You know, the 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 non-NATO oriented right. Eastern European countries, not named ukraine or georgia right right but, um, you know obviously like belarus and serbia to mm-hmm. a lesser degree but are those you know within these core markets who are some of their leading buyers
1: okay so so in latin america your leading buyer would have been in venezuela right yeah and otherwise they've tried to negotiate a few one-off deals say with like bolivia like peru and peru something. yeah and in Africa, your real big customer is Algeria. Mm-hmm.
0: That mm-hmm. has yeah. been
1: that that has been a you know a or a, a destination for surface-to-air missiles, tanks, fighter jets, uh, uh, also uh, submarines, attack helicopters. You name it. Virtually everything that's offered by the Russian defense industry. They've either offered to Algeria or they've actually completed a sale mm-hmm. and sold it to them, and so that is actually a really big uh, question mark for Russia. Just given the past uh, past year, Algeria has gone through turmoil. Their long term president has just been ousted, and so there is. I think I think for Russia, they're probably confident they're going to keep the Algerian market, but you know, at least for a little bit there, when these countries are going through that sort of regime change mm. turmoil. Does it shift the political
0: environment? And right, make their, where make it is, their outward look yeah. different. Yeah, ex-
1: ex- exactly. Especially if you get a new authority that comes in and and, and doesn't like the old the old partners, uh, and they see them as Right,
0: kind they, of a it, Duterte in uh, Philippines, yeah. Philippines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. A good example. Exactly.
1: And so that's what you never know when you get these sort of situations where there's a new government coming into play, and so you can move from from Algeria over to Sudan. Uh, which has purchased a lot of equipment from Russia. Uh, same thing. Long-term, long-term leader was uh, was ousted earlier this year, and basically at the same time as it happened in Algeria, and so that's another question mark. Especially with the United States starting to roll back some of its pressure on Sudan, uh, who who they're going to turn to, and if they're going to remain uh, focusing on buying buying from Russia. Um, outside of outside of africa i mean in in asia you really have kind of three big three big customers i would say it would be india china vietnam yeah and obviously china's developing its own defense industry and then india's working to develop its own in- industry but also importing still, from a lot right more... they import
0: and they partner with russia
1: Yep. And, but, and not just Russia. from Russia, though, but with a lot of other countries, and so that's a big area of competition for for Russia.
0: What about the stans? You know, the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Your, so, so, I mean, it's, I know we're dealing Soviet with much so, uh, less Central money, Central Asia. Yeah, yeah. Much, much smaller figures and smaller mm. batch purchases. Yeah. But, they were always under the Russian orbit from the Soviet Union on, and mm-hmm. while they had a few color revolutions, uh, I'm Kyrgyzstan, yeah, Kyrgyzstan. Um, for some reason, I was going to say Uzbekistan, but I don't believe. They no, had no, them. that but
1: that Karimov, um, yeah, long time president they're for still, a while, they're then still passed away with in, Russia. In but anyway,
0: yeah. um, you know the Russians still like to keep them within a. Uh, trading and economic ties, uh, and a security full with the CSTO. Right, right. Um, I forgot, what does that acronym stand for? Common it's Security.
1: Collective, uh, collective Security. Yeah, yeah. Treaty Organization. Treaty Organization.
0: Anyway, yes. So how do those countries, are, are they still drawn to Russian hardware? Do they, have they diversified any?
1: Okay, so let me uh, oh, yeah. So so we got we got a little bit of a spectrum here. So so with Kazakhstan, for example, for the most part, they're buying from Russia, and that's that's also been their main source for. They they have a small defense industry. It's not it's not rather it's not very big by Central Asia standards, though. It's it's a pretty sizable thing, and for building that up, they've partnered with Russia and with other members of the, the former Soviet uh, former Soviet Union. And so they're probably the most I would say in the in the Russian camp as far as ones that are actually buying systems. Kyrgyzstan gets a lot of systems from Russia, but they're mostly donated, mm-hmm. and because they, 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 the they don't have they don't have yeah they don't have a sizable enough thing. Same similar enough story with Tajikistan, where they don't have a, you know a large defense budget, and odds are most of the stuff that they're putting into service it's either you know a few dozen things or it's or it's donated equipment. Where you start to see a lot more variance is when you look at Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan. Uh, Uzbekistan has started showing off in uh, recent years a bunch of surface-to-air missile systems that they got from China. Uh, they purchased the it's like the FFD two thousand, mm-hmm. which I think yeah, is the HQ nine, yeah, H-Q9. yeah it's yep. like essentially an S three hundred knockoff. But right. the point is, they didn't buy the S three hundred; they they bought that from China. They also recently, like just this past, uh, past few weeks, they showed off a, a man portable system that they got. And then Turkmenistan has been buying from everybody. Everywhere. They've been buying yeah. armored vehicles from Turkey, from Saudi Arabia. They've been buying helicopters from Airbus. They've also been buying uh, Chinese surface-to-air missiles. Okay. And so you start to see a lot more competition with that. Right. And then where Russia is realizing that it doesn't have as much of a lock on that market again, you, you pointed out these aren't massive, you know, massive deals that they're that they're making. But this is a very important area for Russia, and especially in its re, its relationship with China. The I don't want to even call it necessarily an informal agreement, but the way that the arrangement is worked out in practice is Russia has generally been the yeah. security guarantor for of- for Central Asia, and that and that China has nevertheless been able to carve out economic. Uh, deals, for example, with Turkmenistan with natural gas. But the thing is, China's now, especially because they're inking arms deals, but they're also moving more into Central Asia uh, just in general with, with even security deployments.
0: Um, what about Armenia, Azerbaijan, and obviously a trickier one, Ukraine?
1: Right, right. Okay, so let's. so So Armenia, Azerbaijan, Armenia. Fairly similar enough situation where to, to 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 like to Kyrgyzstan it does have a larger defense budget, but for the most part they're basically dependent on Russia donation because Russia in the last three or four years has extended a good maybe three hundred or four hundred million in loans yeah. that are used to sometimes finance some of these these arms purchases up to like ninety percent of the value of it. And so they're using that, and they're buying multiple rocket launchers. They're buying, they just signed for fighter jets. And, you know, you name the system, everything that they need to be able to compete with Azerbaijan. Mm -hmm. Now, because Azerbaijan has a lot of energy wealth, they've been able to, and they've, they've also struck a little bit more of an independent foreign policy. So this kind of works with their approach just generally. Um, But they've they've purchased from a lot more than just Russia. I mean, Russia is a very big supplier to them, but they've also purchased from Turkey and from from Israel.
0: Mm, Yeah. And And, and Ukraine. So so
1: Ukraine. So that was uh, uneasy cooperation up until 2014 and 2015. And then so mid the annexation of uh, Crimea, the onset of insurgency in eastern Ukraine that Ukraine sees essentially as just a, you know, an invasion of Russian regular forces. Uh, Ukraine cut off arms cooperation almost entirely with Russia. There was some cooperation on, 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 like, on like, an aircraft. But for the most part, what you had was um, Ukraine was supplying engines for a lot of the Russian warships. That went away. And all the ver- like various components here and there that were in Russian systems, they just cut that off cold turkey, and that meant. And Russia was already working on import substitution, but that meant that they had to go ahead and do that. And obviously, as far as the export side, it there- means they're not landing sales to Ukraine. Not like they were really doing that before, but they're definitely not now. It hasn't had as bad of an effect as exports to third parties. Because both right. Russia and Ukraine, they'll essentially they'll sit at the table and they won't look at each other. With with India, for example, they're um, they've signed for some of the warships that Russia was going to put into service with its own navy, but couldn't get mm-hmm. the Ukrainian yeah. engines yep. for. And then then Ukraine went ahead and said, you know, if you sell these to India, we will provide the engines for right. them. The same thing; they wouldn't sell to finance. Russia. Yeah, exactly, because mm-hmm. Ukraine has its own requirements for getting exports as well because their defense sector is pretty heavily uh, uh, pretty heavily under siege and so they need they need sales as well
0: yeah right and that was kind of the third party thing was uh you hit on that Mm -hmm. was going to be a question of mine right
1: Uh, right yeah. yeah where they're even even though russia and ukraine are absolutely not collaborating on any any new projects going forward and that's been dead for four or five years now right. they had they're, existing yeah,
0: substructures of- yeah
1: some of those some of those deals where they're where there's some uh existing dependency yeah, i think you would still see collaboration i you know i don't think moving forward it's not like they're going to work on any collaborative projects to sell to other people even if it's mutually beneficial to to ukraine and russia they they're just not going to do it. the political political re- relations are just not there
0: Let's move on to, and you hit on some of this prior in mm-hmm. one of your answers. Let's move on to competition okay. for the global markets. Now, okay. We know um, Russia is obviously not selling to Canada and Right, right. The NATO, the NATO ones States are out of the, out of the question. Therefore, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but where... We've, we've touched on some countries that really diversify source of supply. I mentioned right. Malaysia and Indonesia, and uh, now increasingly Philippines, and mm-hmm. India is one, of course. But in the markets where Russia has traditionally dominated, it, it, who's uh, it, China clearly has become a competitor because yep. they've gotten a little better with the technology, some of which is just re-engineered knockoff Russian design. Much to the chagrin
1: of the Russians. Right, who
0: still then will sell to China. (laughs) Right. um, (laughs) And just to help them. But so we have China, and and they have a similar approach to Russia in that no political strings are necessary. We don't care what you do with these weapons. We don't have some human rights, moral... um, superiority. Right. They're, well, they're not going to,
1: yeah, they're not going to attach any human rights yeah, conditions. There are no nor, political strings. Yeah.
0: Um, but, but, uh, so is how much is China, um, saturating or taking away some of the Russian market and are there other countries like maybe Turkey? I don't know. Um, that well, are eating I, into this. So I share? think,
1: I think what you would look at would be in the various types of platforms that countries are purchasing. So in, in general, I think China's probably the biggest threat because the, th- the thing with, with uh, the European suppliers and the American suppliers, there's certain markets they will just not touch. Right. It's just they're. You know, it's just Iran beyond isn't com- getting yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Then when the arms embargo comes off on Iran, they're not they're not going to turn around and go to the United States and be like, hey, can we yeah. get can we get whatever your latest thing is? Or they're not going to go to Europe because Europe would would risk the wrath of the United States in that in that case. But so Iran's actually a good a good example of this. So they have a big laundry list of stuff that they need to buy, whether they got the money to buy it. You know, right when they, they're under an arms embargo until. um October of 2020, yeah. barring some variance, given that the U.S. walked out of the nuclear deal, it, mm-hmm. it it there's a possibility it could be extended, or who knows what. But in any case, they're going to turn to Russia and they're going to turn to China, uh, where the big area of competition would be would be fighter jets. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I think what you're I, I I believe Iran would probably prefer the Russian jets, but they would
0: time tested.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, how you know however it's it's entirely possible China could just come with a with a much more uh financially uh generous
0: package generous
1: patch, package which yeah. might be the way to put it but so that's that's kind of where they've been able to compete is their their the quality of their fighter jets are getting better that's not to say they're you know they necessarily yeah and it'll be interesting there but they're you know they're 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 at the at the stage where you where one of those countries could Purchase from them and and be, you know, at least have a realistic sense that these things perform, yeah, yeah what that. they're supposed to. Um, in another market would be missiles, as we were talking about Central Asia. That's been a big thing with the surface to air missile systems. I don't know if those things have really seen any operational usage, right? And they're definitely not as widespread as the Russian ones. So I think the Russian ones still generally have an edge. I mean, the S-400's got an unbelievable amount of advertising just from all of the pieces mm-hmm. about Turkey or about, right. you know, Saudi Arabia just kind of mentions it out of nowhere, and then you get a ton of pieces. So they get a lot of advertising on that, and I think they still have the edge, but, the you know, the problem is whether whether they can maintain that over time. And I also time.
0: wonder with China, who's kind of really in the, only in the last... 10 years at max, carved out a niche for themselves with Mm higher-end platforms, and we're not talking, you know, small arms, Right, um, right. but but more advanced equipment. I think the question would be, how is their after-sales support? Because the Russians never had a really good reputation. And a lot of their client states in the past uh, yeah and the, th- and the thing is
1: especially as as systems are getting more and more complex and you're ordering fewer of them but they're but the costs of these deals are just going up because there's so many subcomponents and there's so much that goes into it it puts a it puts a bigger premium on all your you know your maintenance your repair your overhaul and if you if you cannot offer that that's a big uh that's a it's a big uh Drawback ahead of a deal being signed because that's what a lot of these countries are, are looking at when they're examining the different systems on you know on offer. It's not just okay, can this thing drop a couple bombs and fly around really fast? It's also you know, am I going to be realistically able to keep this thing in service? Yeah, what's, and what's, what's serviceability the serviceability? Yeah, rate? and what's the cost of doing that mm-hmm. over however long you expect to have this thing in, yeah. in in service? And so that you're right, Russia has really struggled with that. If you look at some of the public statements that their officials are making re- more recently, they've—I mean—they're certainly aware of the problem. Yeah, usually it was spare
0: parts for a long time. Spares really yep. bad at getting, but they and, seem, and the
1: qua- and, yeah and the consistency and the quality right. of those. But they could be, seem could be to
0: advanced. do more. Um, they're good at hey, here's a maintenance center. Yes, we'll opening. Highland regional Pakistan. regional centers,
1: so that you won't yeah. have to ship the whole thing back to Russia, or because right. they're or not whatever to get they're not work, giving full tech done.
0: transfer, correct? Um, you know, which is what an India or whoever would really want, Vietnam. Right, but they they do. It, uh, what I'm trying to say is there are some things that they did. They they've been in this game for so long; they right. must be doing a few things right, other yes. than not being. Um, you know other than being willing to sell to anybody
1: <laughs> right right yeah, yeah. no they're um, most of their most of their systems are, are you know are reliable enough where they can perform And an, affordable an, yeah affordable reliable enough for that they they can perform again whether it's- c- comparable to to western things i you know i don't think that's necessarily the case depending on what you're talking yeah, about it but but um yeah, and so this is one area where russia over the long term is really uh Uh, it definitely has its work cut out for it is is on very complex systems. And that's something I think, as you said, China's starting to get into that a little bit more. But even with them, you can see where there's still uh, failings, I guess would be with their their armed drones. So if you look at the Middle East market, they're buying up Chinese armed drones like crazy. But these things are often reported to have been crashed. Uh, Jordan... Purchased the the CH four like a couple years ago, and then just put them up for sale for resale. Yeah, I've seen
0: other within
1: about two years of it being in service, which isn't a good, definitely not Not a good indicator, not a vote of confidence for it. But that's something that Russia isn't even competing in. They're not. They're working on and pretty soon to introduce an armed drone. Or a few, they've got a few different models that they're working on, and soon to introduce those into service. But they're definitely not at the stage where they can even offer that. Right, it was never really
0: their field. Um, Right, yeah, their niche. It was the U.S. and Israel were ahead of. Pretty much everybody,
1: everybody in that, yeah, and yeah. they're starting to see where where those are important and where those can fit into their their operations. Yeah, they, and
0: they used them in Georgia, didn't they? Yeah, um, in two thousand eight well, when they y- went in. Yeah, I mean, they've used they've. I mean, definitely
1: incorporated drone, right? But I mean, they were a
0: little late on the curve, is all. Like yes, yeah, that's five. a good
1: that's a good way to put it. Yeah.
0: Well, let's wrap this up with this. Okay. I'm, if it, so, obviously, with Russia, they have a, a large and um, all encompassing defense industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do land systems, sea systems, you know, submarines. yeah, they can run, run, the, they, they, the, they, gamut they run the gamut for everything the Russian military needs. Um, how vital is this the export success to maintaining this industry? Because at some point, Putin runs out of cash to just fund all the R&D and keep some of these shipyards and other mm-hmm. conglomerates open. So
1: so this is something that you've seen as Russia's embarked on a new state armaments program that's going to last to about 2027 is the that's the latest uh, project is that the the expected buys under it are going to be a lot lower than the previous one. So over the past nine years, 10 years, Russia has really embarked on a big procurement program. They've been purchasing, you name the system, to overhaul its its military and to bring, uh, basically they set a, be- a benchmark of either new or very modernized systems, and they wanted to bring their overall military force to about 70% of that, uh, uh, either new or, or modernized. Right. And over the upcoming project, it's going to be a lot less, for example, with with helicopters. It's probably going to be about half the volume of total orders across that period. And so you've got to make up for that somewhere and, and exports are how you do it. That's where when Russia is seeing a lot of competition or when there's a lot of sanctions. And so they point to that as unfair mm-hmm. competition. That's where this is actually extremely important is that overall, the defense industry will still be good, but the problem is for specific design bureaus or uh, specific yeah. manufacturers, which are often some of the bigger empl- employers in, in, the, in their local areas, that they might struggle. That, the, that Overall, say, like Russian helicopters, they'll sell a lot of helicopters, but their transport helicopters, where they're being produced... Those might lag, whereas the attack helicopters are are the ones that take off, and so that's where this is extremely important for their defense industry because as the as the defense budget it's still increasing a little bit, but as largely most of those big increases are behind them that they're not going to be relying on that as much to finance at least you know keep the production lines open, but also that's how you um, for, uh, find funding for research and development right. is, is, you know, is through landing some of these sales or landing agreements with, you know, a country to work on a new, you know, a new development project. Yeah,
0: or, that's where Turkey might enter in as a enticing partner for right Moscow. right
1: yeah yeah exactly and that's Not also a
0: NATO country so to speak right and that's that's where that that deal with
1: with Turkey has been such a you know such a huge win for for Russia is uh, obviously you get the political side of things that yeah they've you know done this big thing and driven a wedge between one of NATO's largest militaries and the rest of the uh, and the rest of the alliance but also what else they can sell to them and if, if there's any, you know, scope for partnership. Um, I don't know how, you know, how substantial that would be, but it's something they've, they've definitely explored. Yeah. Uh, even with, with the Gulf countries, which Russia sells almost nothing to, they, right. they, they do, they do land a sale here or there, but, uh, they like with, to with,
0: announce with, agreements in yeah, principle, but those it, never get, but you, yeah,
1: but usually when there's an update on it, it's just something to the effect of still being talked about. Yeah. And, and, 20 and you, years yeah, later. yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're not actually moving even to a memorandum, right. but, uh, that that's something that they've talked with with the UAE, for example, is working on niche projects mm-hmm. where, you know, UAE might just be coming in as the as the funder, depending on what they're you know what it is they're working on. They might just be su- supplying the capital, but that's extremely important for for Russia's defense industry.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, they're you're not going to make much on four MIGs being sold to Serbia with right. another two <laughs> donated yeah know, and that's that's it's been a just big not sufficient a, a, a big, scale
1: yeah it's not it's not enough of a scale because they'll they'll land some of these deals they'll they like for example in in africa they've started selling a lot of mi-35s but they sell you know maybe 12 to nigeria they sold uh over in over in asia they sold four to pakistan which is a big deal because for the most part russia and pakistan have not Uh, Been concluding agreements, but they were able to sell four. I think they might have signed an agreement for another five, but that's you know nine helicopters right there, and it's not these humongous packages. Yeah, they
0: had India and China for so long, and you know, in in the past Mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years, with China going all in on growing its own defense sector and trying to really particularly on the shipbuilding side, that's where China is, has exploded. Right. Uh, maritime yeah, To, to the point
1: where they're they're producing aircraft carriers and, and, and Russia's still trying yeah. to figure out and, and where they, it could even Right, start and they produce so
0: many ships per year. You yeah. just are like, oh my God, a whole new class of destroyers. But, yeah. But, um, you know, since the end of the Cold War, particularly post-1996 with the Taiwan Strait crisis, China's defense industry is really ratcheted up and mm-hmm. is more and more capable. They therefore need less foreign source material. Right. Um you know the S400 and a batch of SU35s is about it in the past 10 yeah, and years. Yeah, now they really
1: just need the the, the, the like specific items that right. they're not able to produce for themselves. But now India is moving of
0: off it. and not off, they're not going to stop buying from Russia, but they are not buying at the scale they were. and Yeah, floor. and
1: Russia also has to contend with the fact that that's not, they're not the unitary supplier there, that they, that they if their offer is not all that good, India yeah. will say, hey, well, yeah. we're, we're it, going to turn really, to Dassault. We're going to turn to Right, it's to, really a partnership the for yeah. them in, yeah.
0: you know, in India. It's interesting, and we'll see how this plays out in the year <laughs> ahead, and... We thank you for joining us today, and we're going to wrap it up now. And uh, that'll probably be our last podcast for the year. So we'll see you very early in 2020. Thanks for joining us.